0: Welcome to 15 minutes of mental toughness with your host Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. And I didn't didn't like what I was seeing when I was out recruiting. And I I mean, I just, I didn't like it. And so I I had, at that time, I said, I'm just going to go back to high school. I don't, I don't want to deal with all this. Um, And so we did. But ironically, we got the chance to come here to UT Martin. And when we did, we've tried to do it different. We're, we kind of say we're a high school program that happens to be in college. Um, And that high school program is we try to really, really, really. You know spend time and take care of our athletes and that doesn't mean it's always positive right. you know sometimes you have to you have to chew on kids sometime and sometimes they're not going to like it and sometimes they're going to leave you i mean that's that's life but the, at the, the bottom core of it is where where's your heart and what are you trying to do
1: hey this is dr rob bell if you want a free ebook the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better Text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, to this number, 33444. You'll get a download right away. Are you one of nearly 7 in 10 Americans who doesn't feel fully rested when the alarm clock rings? Do you dread your mornings? Let's change that. Psalm Sleep is a drug-free, non-habit-forming sleep drink in a small can. They can help save your nights from tossing and turning. Find out for yourself at G-E-T-S-O-M dot com and stop dreading your alarm. Some sleep. It gives you Z's. So our guest is in his 13th season at the University of Tennessee Martin women's basketball coach. Uh, They've won four conference tournament titles, six regular season titles. University of Tennessee Martin's been in the postseason nine times. And our guest has been the OVC coach on four different occasions. 100% of his players have graduated during his tenure, and they recently had the first player in OVC history that was drafted uh, in the WNBA, and that was uh, Chelsea Perry. Our guest today, I'm excited about it. I've uh, been at his practice before, and I just love watching Coach practice. Our, uh, our guest is Coach Kevin McMillan. Coach, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I mean, let, let's start with, with Chelsea, if that's okay. I mean, she's drafted 26 overall, obviously a special player. Can you speak you know, into the development and maturity of a player like that when she comes to your program and, and how that develops? Well, Chelsea came
0: out of high school from a, um, a solid uh, single A high school in, in rural Tennessee, West Tennessee, and, uh, and really at that time didn't play a lot of travel ball. Um, and so, so nobody really had offered her. Um, we, you know, I, I since I coached high school in the area, I knew their coach really well, and uh, we, you know, she decided to come here and play. Uh, but you know, for high school, she was about six two and a half, six three, and uh, he put her around the basket, which is the same thing I would have done in high school. And she never ventured out much um, when she got here. You know, we, we tried to put some weight on her and get some strength, but she's really, really thin and wiry. Uh, so that was always a challenge for her. Uh, but then we started working on her perimeter shooting and ball handling skills. And very quickly, it was evident that her work ethic was going to help her to get really good. Uh, how good? You know, we kept telling her, that's up to you. But we saw her improve by leaps and bounds. And next thing you know, she's shooting the eyes out of it from three. Uh, She's putting it on the floor. She's getting stronger. And you could tell by her desire and her drive that she was going to be special. And it it, it culminated in two-time Player of the Year in the conference, Um, you know, a uh, WNBA draft pick. Uh, She made the team. She got released but got picked back up. Um, And then uh, actually I I got a text from Lynn Dunn, who coached the Fever for years, that said, She's got a chance to be rookie of the year after the Olympics. And ironically, the day after the tech, she tore ACL. And so she's now out for the year. But the fee- she's made such an impact on the fever, they want her to stay up there uh, because they're so excited about her future up there, which just speaks volumes for, for what Chelsea's been able to do.
1: Right. So, Coach, speak... A little bit more in detail, like that work ethic, that drive, that desire. What is it about, like, when you get those type of athletes that kind of have that it factor, that take it to that next level? Talk, you know, in in depth about that. What do you see and and what takes place?
0: Well, I think, you know, today, most of that is she doesn't, she didn't take anything coaching personal. Um, and, And that is an unusual thing today in today's technology age. Uh, anytime you would get on her, she immediately thought, they're trying to help me get better. And so what can I do? And when you have that mental approach to, to coaching in the game, then you' you're always focused on getting better and you're not worried about, oh, you know, he said something derogatory or he said something that was mean or he said no, everything that we said to her she assumed, was trying to help her get better and that so i wish we could bottle that approach and get everyone to understand that's what coaching you know that's what we're doing every day um and that's that's how she took it and not only did she take it that way she would push us as coaches to push her even harder you know what can i do to get better yeah i know you're coaching me on this what can i do to get better and so her her those two things probably made her the gifted
1: player that she is. How often are players like that the the first to show up and last to leave and just really doing it on their own? Um,
0: you know, I, I, I don't want to sound like the coach that's been doing it a while that says in the good old days. Right. Um, but I but it it is getting rarer to see kids put in that extra time, but you, but they're there. Don't, no question. They're there. Uh, you know, we've got some now. Uh, I, I think that when you get a group, when you get a group of them that you can get to follow that leadership is when you have those special teams. Uh, the problem today is you're battling so many other factors that sometimes that one player feels a little bit ostracized because they're wanting to get up and go to the gym early in the morning. Everybody else is laughing at them because they're wanting to stay in the bed. Um, so I, I, they're still there no matter what. I think they have some hurdles and some challenges that they haven't had in the past.
1: Mm-hmm. So when players show up, how do you, how do you best coach them into what they're going to experience? You know, coming into college, the obstacles they're going to face because right, it's like if. Um, if the youth only knew and if old age only could, right? Like we got the answers. How do you convey that? I mean, how do you uh, teach that skill? Well, you know, we, we create as much adversity in
0: practice that we can. And we do it, we try to do it in every single drill. So if it's a passing drill, the ball has to hit a certain spot every time it can't drop. Uh, The player has to catch it clean uh, and I'm talking about a basic passing drill, not not something very advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go to shooting drills, you're putting a, a a number that they have to make or a time that's on them so that there's pressure put on them. Um, when we're doing one on one drills, you you're putting it you're putting them at disadvantage with the, the size of the court that you give them to work with. Uh, you're allowing the defense to to put their hands on them. Uh, when we go to team drills, you're doing one on two, so I've got to beat two players instead of one. Um, we're we're pressing up and back, and we're making our kids go an extra two or three reps when they when they hit the wall. Which you're going to, you know, in a three on three press drill where you're going up and back, you're going to get worn out in the back up and back. You're going to be dead. Yeah. Well, make them go an extra rep to see. Okay, who and it's and it, and it, they. They think, oh, they're just being hard on us. Well, yeah, but can you fight through when your body starts telling me I can't do it? Can your can your brain say, no, I can do it? Well, so every single drill that we do is trying to help them figure out that they can push themselves. They can do more than they think they can. And initially, when they come in as freshmen, they struggle. Um, but it's kind of amazing the growth that they have over time.
1: Yes, and I appreciate you going into that because I'm a big firm believer into you know adversity is sneaky, but we've got to know where our mind goes, especially under those pressure circumstances. You know mental toughness it's it's hard to define, but you know when you see it sort of thing. what is it that you look for, coach? Uh,
0: mental toughness for uh if, if I see when I see it typically, uh, when I come in, I drop my daughter off for school at about 7.15. If I come in the gym at 7.30 and I see a kid that's in there that's been shooting for a long time, uh, she's, probably, she's probably one of those mental tough kids. Probably. Not necessarily, but she's probably. When we're in practice and you're having to stop a kid rather than they stop on their own when a play ends, uh, when you do that, that's the mental toughness that, that you typically see. Uh, when a kid, when, when a kid is bringing it every day, you know, every day you're, you're seeing that effort level where it needs to be. That's probably mental toughness, but you you nailed it. You can't define it. Uh, you just do know it when you see it, you know, we've had practices turn around from a couple of our kids that are very mentally tough because they will see practice going downhill and they will make a play. That just turns practice around, and there's that mental. T- they see that practice isn't going the way they wanted to. Next thing you know, they're diving on a ball twenty feet out of bounds when they had no. Everybody else would stop. Well, there it is, and and practice will turn around. So, it is. It's probably the hardest thing to define, but yet it's probably the easiest thing to notice.
1: Mm-hmm. With um, with the players today. And especially your coaching. How has your coaching had to change then? Kind of throughout the years, with I mean, just all the changes that really that have happened, all the outside distractions. How, how has your coaching had to change?
0: Well, you know, not 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 as much as I think people people would think. Um, probably the the biggest thing is that we have to spend, as coaches, probably more time one-on-one with our players, talking to them and communicating with them. Um, Because, you know, if if they know that they can trust you and that you love them, they'll typically, they'll, they'll run through a wall for you. Right. I think today is a little harder because kids don't communicate near as well because they communicate by text and by Twitter and Instagram. And so that doesn't build a relationship with them. Uh, so you've got to take the time to sit in and talk with them. And, one, and once they know that you have their best interest at heart, you can pretty much coach them any way you want to. Um, so, so my expectations, they have not changed. If I, do, I will stop coaching whenever I have to lower my expectations. Um, and I haven't had to. And, and as long as I don't, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing knowing that I'm going to have
1: to figure out how to reach kids a little differently with the technological age. Yeah. And I, and I do appreciate that answer coach. Cause I mean, I know you have the high standards of when players show up and what you have each and every season when it comes to motivating players today, like the, the documentary on art of coaching, I thought was fantastic, right? It's just Saban and Belichick. They meet every single year and this one was recorded and Saban was just talking about how, you know, motivating players because greatness and mediocrity like they just don't mix. Like right? greatness doesn't like mediocrity, mediocrity doesn't like greatness. What? How do you motivate players? What are the things that you do to get them to, you know, take ownership of their development? Uh.
0: Well, I give a lot of speeches that uh, by the time you're a junior, you're probably sick of hearing. Um. It's it's a challenge to try to get kids to want to do something that their mind and body is telling them they don't want to do. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a every day. It, it's not something you can walk in as a coach and hand them a piece of paper and say, here's here's what mental toughness, here's what this program is about, and here's what you got to do. It's You have to live it, and it's got to be every, I mean, it's got to be consistent. I think it's like the water dropping on a rock that over time is going to put a hole, that little drop of water can put a hole in that rock. And I think that that's the theory as coaches that you have to do. You have to be so consistent because kids, and not just basketball players or athletes or whatever, but kids are looking for that window when you're not consistent, as a parent, as an, as an administrator, uh, workers are. You give them that room to relax, and they're going to. And if you're going to be great, don't get me wrong, it's not like you can never relax. That's not what we're saying. But if you're going to be great, you've got to know when to relax. And it's usually not when your body tells you. Right. The first thing your body's going to tell you is to slow down. And you've got to figure out when your body's lying to you and when not. And so we just try to be consistent and put them in drills and put them in conditioning situations that's always pushing on those buttons. Um, But the, the biggest thing is you have to get them to take ownership of it. And... So we try to do a lot of things that make them own their conditioning, make them own their weight com. room stuff, make them own their shooting, make them own their execution. Because at the end of the day, this is their team. It's, it's you know, as coaches, we, we get too much credit and not enough. Uh, we get too much credit when we win. Uh, we don't get enough credit for what we do behind the scenes that nobody ever sees. Um, but the biggest thing is, can you get those players to take ownership? And it's gotta be a consistent thing where they want to do it because you can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. So you got to figure out how to, how do you get them to want to do it? And that's a lot of different ways. And kids are all different. Some of you just tell them other kids, you have to put them with a partner and they feel responsible for that partner. And that pulls them up. Uh, other kids you put in charge of a whole group. Uh, other kids, you put them with someone that's a good leader so they can learn. It's just all of that is different and it's different for every kid. And that's what make that's what make coaching so tough.
1: I've always hated like the term buy in, because I think we're trying to have people buy into what our vision is when when ownership, like you said, right, it's like, look, if I'm going to if I'm going to rent an apartment, it's different than if I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to take care of that thing. So, I mean, I need to take a little step further, Coach. What, like, how do you do that? How do you get your players in in an example? How did they, how do you get them to take ownership of, of what they're trying to do? Well, the,
0: there's a couple of ways. One is they've got to know that you halfway know what you're talking about. They got, they got yeah. to believe in what you're doing. So, uh, a Saban has a automatic when you come to alabama we'll just look at the row of national championship trophies okay well we need to listen what this guy's saying when you walk into our gym and you look up at the banners that go from 2011 to 2021 and there's nine of them up there that brings a little bit of we probably ought to listen to what this guy's saying um but in practice You've got to kind of work with them on, look, if you're going to do it a certain way, this is probably what's going to happen. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. Then you got to point those things out to them. They've got to see the things that are going right and going wrong and what you're trying to get them to do. Um, so in practice, you, you, you put them in drills and say, look, guys, if you don't do what the, you're supposed to hear, this is what's going to happen in the next drill. And when it does, that gets them to go, huh? Maybe I ought to be focused a little bit more on that thing. And then you keep putting them in those situations. And I hope I'm answering. I'm answering it. Oh, it's it's perfect. Okay. Um, But it's it's. And again, we're back to that drop of water. Every every. If you can connect back, and I do that all the time. I connect back to uh, typically when you show them that practice is not very good at the end of practice. You can go back and say, Hey, remember at the beginning of practice when we were doing that pass and catch drill. You guys didn't take that serious. Now, look what we look like now. So you need to come in here and take this first part serious so that that'll happen. Well, then the next time they do and it works, you need to point that out to them and show it. And I think over time they begin to go, huh, you know, and they make that connection that they can figure out that they own. They own whether practice was good at the end or not based on what they did at the beginning. Didn't have anything to do with me. And I think, I think then you get your older ones who've been here long enough. They kind of point it out and it becomes kind of a, a, a circle. Um, but starting that circle is
1: tough. You got to really, really push. Mm-hmm. Do you find, Coach, that, that players and, and even teams, are they more motivated after losses than they are when they've had you know, some sustained success? You know, oh, that's an
0: interesting question. I think that's changed. Okay. Um, I think when I started coaching... And for me personally, I'm way more motivated after losses. Right. Um, and I think there are some kids today that are still motivated that way out of losses. But I think I think more kids today, uh, it, it's more, I think it's changing. You know, I've never thought about it till you asked the question. Um, but, you know, I, I wish our kids were motivated after a win. Uh, but they, they typically aren't. But you get some kids now that are definitely not motivated after a loss. They're, they're, they get in their own head about stuff, and they're making excuses, uh, and, and that becomes a challenge. I think, I think when you've got the great teams and the great players and the ones that really can do it, they're, they're motivated. They'll motivate themselves from a win, uh, which is not as easy to do. Um, but I think most of us, I'm motivated from losses more. But I can also look at the win. I, I look at everything in a game. I don't really coach the final score. Right. Um, I, I try to coach the effort, the intensity, the execution for the game, regardless of the score, because we all know that eventually games are going to go for you, against you. You can't really control that, but you can control your effort and your discipline and your sacrifice. And You can control those things, and those aren't going to change win or loss. And if you keep focusing on those things, the, t- the wins typically will take care of themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, they're good looking. If you're digging this podcast and check out our book, Puke and Rally, it's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. Just go to pukeandrallybook.com. Now back to the show. With, and this might be a difficult question because with, with parents today, I mean, you've seen changes throughout the years. I see them from outsider's perspective and they could be good or bad. Like, let's say real quick that you, there's a parent listening to this podcast and they, 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 they think they're doing the right way by their kid or something like that. But I mean, what do you think parents need to hear, you know, today that can really, you know, not, not shape the path for the kid, but shape the, the kid for the path? Uh, let your kid fail. Okay. let your kid fail
0: because you're not you're not going to learn anything from neutral or positive things. You don't you don't learn from you learn from failing. You learn from doing it wrong and having to figure out how to make it right. Uh, As parents, we don't do our kids justice if we're doing everything for them. Uh, They've got to learn that. Oh, gosh, I got to change a tire. Okay, well, I basically know how to do it, but, well, what happens when you can't get this done or what happens when that goes wrong or what happens to figure out how to make it work? And if you can figure that out, then you can apply that to anything. You can apply that to their education. You can apply it to their athletics. You can apply it to their family life. You can apply it to everything. Figuring things out on their own, I think is probably the biggest thing that I see kids and kids today don't. They don't want to do it like they did a long time ago. And I see that like with driver's license. You know, when I was growing up, you're growing up, we couldn't wait to get a driver's license to take off. Couldn't wait. And if I polled my team right now, I'll bet you over half of them didn't get their license the day they turned 16. And it's because they don't want to do things for themselves. They don't want to have that responsibility on them because as parents, we, we tend to, Overfunction and not want to, and it's not in a bad way. We're, we're trying to do the best by our kids, but I think that not letting them falter and fail and whatever, I think that's the biggest hurdle that I'm seeing as a coach as we go forward. There's nothing wrong with failing. And that's one of the biggest things we try to teach our kids. There's zero wrong with failing. Failing is the best thing we can do. It's how you approach the
1: failure that is the key to the whole thing. So on a... And that baffles me too, coach. I still can't wrap my head around it with uh, kids not wanting to get their license, like right when they turn it, you know, and like, it still just doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, because that was like the, the ultimate freedom you could have, right? I mean, Absolutely. it was the ultimate uh, path towards that. Right. So if a parent's listening they hear, all right, let them fail, like, give me uh, give me some specific instances because it makes sense on my mind, but how do parents not let that natural development take place? Like what do they do to, uh, you know, to pervert that process? Oh,
0: golly, you're asking.
1: That's a loaded question. I can become
0: enemy number one to parents on this answer. Uh, You know, let your kid, uh, let your kid apply to the college on their own. Uh, Let your kid move into college on their own and come see him a week later um let your kid have to go talk to the professor or the teacher when there's an issue with their grade don't get in the middle of it uh have them talk to the coach if they want to talk to the coach let them go talk to the coach don't don't do any of that for them um make them make them wash their own clothes make them make them pick up after themselves and make a dinner and and You know it's it's little things make them go get the car serviced make them figure out how do i talk to the mechanic about this stuff uh make them make the phone calls that are just you know oh well i'll just call you for no let them do all that and because the only way they're going to learn how to get a water bill turned on is they've got to call the water department well how do you call the water department well you got to call city hall how do you call city hall well you got to go find the number let them do all those things on their own, and they'll figure all that out. And, I mean, isn't that what we're trying to do for our kids? We're not going to be here all the time for them. Um, so I think ultimately we're trying to get them ready so they can handle those things when, when it hits them. And so it's all little things.
1: It's not necessarily one major big thing. Right. And these are life skills, right? That's going to last right. way beyond when, when sport's over. But isn't that what
0: sports – isn't that essentially what sports – is here to do for these kids, you know, yes, there's some of them that are going to be able to go Chelsea Perry's going to play in the WNBA and she's going to make money that yes, she's not the norm. She's not the norm. So the things that we're trying to teach our kids, do we want to win? Absolutely. We want to win, but do we want to win? And then have all of our kids 10 years from now, can't find a job and don't know how to work. And they can't, no, that's not what we want. They don't know how to be a parent. They don't know how to handle the tough stuff in life. That's not what it is. So we're creating a mini world in our coaching to get these kids ready for what the rest of life really going to be like. And it's not
1: going to be easy. Do you still have parents that will email you about playing time or issues? Uh, or do you kind of nip that at, at the beginning? I, yeah, I haven't had to deal with that in a long time. Oh, good. Uh,
0: a long, 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 long time. And uh, it's probably been 20 years. Probably since the last time I had to worry about a kid in their playing time, um, and most of that is because in practice it is so obvious who gets to play and who doesn't. I mean, if you if you whip me today in practice, you're going to play the next game. Period. Now the next day after that, if I whip you, I'm going to play. That's our standard. That's our culture. Mm-hmm. And so typically. The kids won't let the parents call. They're like, Dad, I just got whipped yesterday in practice all day by Rob. There's no If you call, I'm going to be embarrassed because I I got embarrassed yesterday. Please don't do that. Mm. And so so our culture, that has not been an issue. Yeah. yeah but I, I, but I hear coaches talk about that all the time.
1: Right. And I do love that. That's why at least I asked that question. Coach, you know, it was tragic to hear about uh, Anthony Stewart. And his passing and everything that happened. I mean, you were you were interim AD when when he then became, you know, the head coach. How does, you know, especially with the whole athletic department and, and you as a coach, I mean, how does that how does how do you process those kind of tragedies that happen? You know, I've never had anything like that happen before.
0: So I had no uh, you know, as we live our life, typically when things happen to us, we reference back in our mind to something. To help us get through whatever it is um and, and that that is a first for me and was a first and uh parker his son uh and my sons play basketball together pick up all the time um and i literally was like i i don't i don't know the right thing to say to him i you know it just was strange and so all i tried to do was was talk to him um, and tell him I'm here for him. I actually saw him the other day in Walmart, came in up and gave him a big hug. Uh, and it was great to see him. But uh, there, that type of tragedy, um, you know, I think that the only, opportunity, the only thing that I think you can do for your team, for your kids from that is go, okay, how do we honor the life of someone that, that has had that tragedy? How do we take care of the family? And how do we pick up and move on? Uh, because once again, we're talking about life, life's going to come and smack you in the face. And how are you going to be able to move on, not move on and be insensitive, uh, but, but, but be able to move on and honor the people that have been affected by it and, and do it genuinely. Um, and that's so hard to do. That's hard to do for me and you at our age, let's the kids that we're trying to teach that, that was, that was really, really, really tough.
1: Yeah. And I probably should have pressed better on the on the podcast. Anthony Stewart was the head coach of the men's team, just passed away to sleep at uh, age 50. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, during that coach, I mean and helping athletes process it, what else stands out to you about that? Um you know,
0: I, how how short life is, how fragile life is. And uh and, was optimized. How you need to be a lot more focused on, quote, the important things, uh, which are the relationships, uh, the people that we're that we've been put in that have been put in our path and the, whose path we've been put in and how we can help each other uh, and influence each other and all this other stuff. You know, uh, you know, economy and uh, all the other issues of the day, politics, That that's that's not you know, all that's important. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's how you treat the person that's next to you, uh, and how you, how you take care of each other. And, and you never know, you just never know. And so I hope that, I hope that we can impart on our kids to try and leave a positive imprint no matter what they're doing.
1: Coach, there was uh, a coach up here in, in Indiana and they always, uh, made sure every player came in and would shake his hand at the end of practice. And I remember just asking him, I said, you know, that's always, I mean, it was in the locker room, they were leaving. And I always remembered, I said, you know, I, I love that gesture coach. I said, you know, how did you come up with that? And he learned it from another coach and it was basically one you know, one of their players had, uh, had passed. And he said, we never know when that last time is going to be. And I always want that last interaction to be a positive one, regardless of how the game went or practice when I always want that last one to be, you know, memorable. And that, that always stood out to me. I thought that was a fascinating way to always end it. I think that's a, that's
0: a great idea. Um, you know, now some of the times I, I'll give my girls a hug after practice and ask them how life's going. A lot of times they look at me like they want to shoot me with a, uh, a, a dart gun or something because I've been chewing on them. But after they've been there a while, they do realize that in the lines is one thing. But once we're done, uh, we're going we're gonna to take care of each other. And uh, and I think that's a phenomenal idea because you don't. You don't know. And, and those kids need to know, kind of like Chelsea did. We're just coaching you. We're not mad at you. We're not upset with you. We're trying to help you. And we're trying to be here for you. We can't do everything. We're not going to be perfect. And if we pretend to be perfect, that's worse. Um and so just, you know, bear with us and, and let's, let's, let's grow in this, in this life together. And I think that's a phenomenal way to do it.
1: Coach, we talk about hinge moments on this podcast, that one moment, person or event that, that makes, you know, all the difference in our lives. And sometimes we don't know what they are when they happen tragedies. We know because they are immediate hinges, but what, what's the hinge moment that you can share with us? Well, I, mine is probably right about
0: the middle of my career. Uh, I coached high school for the first uh, 15 years, and then I went to uh, college for a couple of years. And then I went back to high school and then ended up coming here to UT Martin. And probably when I left high school, I left a really, really, really good team and, uh, and went to college for two years. Uh, during that time, I kind of figured out with my family and kids – Uh, and my coaching, what I really cared about. And I think when you're young uh, and there's nothing wrong with it, you tend to chase winning um, and you kind of define yourself by winning and losing. And, And that's okay. But I think what I figured out right in the middle of my career is, you know what, I didn't care near as much about winning and losing as I thought I did. And I cared way more about the relationships. And trying to be someone that helps other people um, that the relationship's 10 or 15 years, 20 years after. It's not to say that mine weren't good before. It's just because I've still got kids that I coached 30 years ago, 25 years ago that I still talk to. But I think I just tweaked my focus a little bit uh, and put it more on the relationships. And I think that that, I mean, it was a flood of, change in my program uh, and the way that I coach and the and what's so ironic that's when the that's when the championship started flowing in left and right and it's just so funny you know and I say this for the first 15 years of my coaching uh, I won some districts and I won some regions in high school but I never won a state championship uh, never had any rings and for the 15 years since then we have 12. And so it's, I hope I'm not uh, naive enough to think o oh, fi- oh for 15 on one hand and 12 for 15 on the other. Something happened. You figured something out. And that, that thing for me has been think more long-term instead of short-term. Think about the relationships. Think about the people and how you want to treat them and how you want to be treated. And, and for me, that was the biggest change in my career.
1: Was there a moment that, that made that happen or was there a general shift? Like how did that, how did that transformation take place? It probably was just over the, over the
0: year and a half, two years that I was in college and, and getting to see the different ways of doing things and, and watching the college game and how the, and, and how we do things at the college level. Uh, And I didn't, I didn't like what I was seeing when I was out recruiting. And I, I mean, I just, I didn't like it. And, so I, I had, at that time, I said, I'm just going to go back to high school. I don't, I don't want to deal with all this. Um, and so we did. But ironically, we got the chance to come here to UT Martin. And when we did, we've tried to do it different. We're, we kind of say we're a high school program that happens to be in college. Um, and that high school program is we try to really, 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 you know, spend time and take care of our athletes. And that doesn't mean it's always positive. You know, sometimes you have to, you have to chew on kids sometime and sometimes they're not going to like it. And sometimes they're going to leave you. I mean, that's, that's life. But the, at the, the bottom core of it is where, where's your heart and what are you trying to do uh, for these kids? And and most of them, by the time they've been here for a couple of years, they realize, okay, he's not working on me to be a better basketball player for this season. Or let me say it differently. Not only is he working on me to be a better basketball player for this season, he's also trying to get me where I can handle life when it hits me 15 years from now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and I think so, so probably over that year and a half, two year career in college, that was, you know, I'm not real smart. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't one specific moment. It took me a few of those moments to pound me in the head to kind of figure that out. The two by four
1: moments. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Coach, do you, um, I mean, with your approach, focusing on relationships, the individual, a long-term development, do you, what happens when you miss on a player? Uh,
0: Well, you can, miss, well, what you, what I do is I sit down and I do some soul searching. Mm-hmm. What was my responsibility in the miss? Uh, because it's, it's the players total 100%. I'm a hundred percent, but it's never going to be one of those ends. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. And it may be leaning over towards the player and it may be leaning over towards me. And all you can do is be honest and genuine and, and own up to your part and try to do better the next time, knowing that we're not going to be perfect. We're going to keep making mistakes. But if you can just be genuine and honest with them and say, hey, guys, I'm not perfect. And if I butchered it, I'm sorry. Uh, I hope there's enough trust built up that we can get through those. But we've got to know as coaches, sometimes that's not going to work. You know, and that's, that's a part of the transfer portal that we see now, part, but but not the whole part. But that's just the part that we have control over. And that's the part we can own. And you can't, and I try not to worry about stuff that I don't have control over. Right. Because, I mean, you, you can run yourself into the ground thinking, oh, I could have done da-da-da-da-da. No, that, you couldn't control that. Right. So what can you control? And it would be shaking their hands every day after practice. Oh, that'd be phenomenal. You can control that. Uh, making sure that you sit down with them once a week or once every couple of weeks and just see what's going on in life. You know, things like that, you can do, Um, you know, they have 20 people in their ear telling them they could be averaging 30 points a game going to UConn. Well, I can't do anything about that. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if that's, if that's what they end up thinking, well, okay, go do it. And and seriously, if a kid leaves me, I really do hope they go and play great somewhere else. I hope it's great. Uh, I don't want them to go somewhere else and fail. I mean, seriously, that's, that's, I I hope and pray that deep down that, that that I never hope a kid goes somewhere and doesn't do well Uh, because they're doing the best they can at that moment with the information they have. They're doing the best they can. Mm -hmm. And so what I think I'm going to try to do is make sure that I've got them really good information on whatever it is, relationships, life, school, career, And then hopefully they can make those good decisions. But look, at the end of the day, these kids are still 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old. And they're going to make poor decisions just like we do. Um, So basically own up my part and then hope and
1: pray (laughs) a lot. From the 10,000 foot view, you know, uh, what do you you see that happens with the the transfer, you know, that happens in all of college basketball. Oh gosh, I think you're at. I think from
0: ten thousand foot view, you've seen about eight storms come together uh, and it's created that. I think you've got a BCS, uh, the the BCS schools that are th- kind of threatening to pull out of the NCAA. I think the NCAA is worried about that, so they're trying to accommodate them. Uh, I think you're seeing uh, student athlete welfare. Uh, I think you're seeing travel ball. I think you're seeing technology. Uh, I th- you know, All of that coming in is kind of hit at the same time. And I think we have overreacted. Uh, I don't think, at my core, I just don't believe, oh, things aren't like you want it to here. Oh, we'll go somewhere else. I don't think that's the life lesson that's gonna help these kids. Now, out of the 2000 kids that go to the transfer portal, how many how many should be in there there's a number and they should be in there but there's also a big number that probably more than that is you know what it's a little tough okay fight through it figure it out because we're back to parenting again you know the transport portal parenting that is a that is you know oh coach you know i heard something the other day that uh, there was a young person working at a at a baseball game with an older person as a mentor, well, they were eating an ice cream cone, and they weren't supposed to, and because they weren't supposed to do it out in front of the fans and stuff, and so the supervisor walked up and said, "Hey, yeah, you don't it's okay to eat that ice cream cone, but can you do it back over there, where you know nobody can see you? But that's okay. Just just make sure you do that." And walked off, and the mentor was sitting there with the person, and the uh, the young person looked at the mentor and said. Can you believe he he just chewed me out over that and ripped me over? And the mentor was literally going, what? No, he didn't say any of that at all. But that mentality is also what's affected that transport portal. Oh, coach got on me. He hates me, he doesn't like me, doesn't whatever. I'm transferring to go somewhere where they do like me. No, it's gonna be the same everywhere you go, by and large. So I think you've got about six or eight things that have, have happened at the same time which has caused this, and I don't see it going away, Uh, not anytime soon.
1: You mentioned something at the very beginning, especially I thought was just great, right? Like Chelsea uh, Perry never took anything personal, right? The coaching and the whole mentality was switched on. They're trying to make me better. What's the message? What what do I need to learn from this? Why do you think there's sort of a fragile mentality when it comes to so many athletes today that um, they just can't handle, you know, and again, I mean, it's a broad question, right? I mean, we're the relationship, the love has to be there, but the fact of it's really difficult for them to take uh, any type of criticism. Why do you think that is? I think that's. I think that is a cultural thing
0: that, as coaches, and I think it goes into high school, even in junior high, that coaches are a little bit afraid to push on those kids because of parents complaining you know kids being upset kids quitting i think i think you get afraid of that so you back off a little bit well i think that creates a snowball mm-hmm. and i think it culminates in what we were talking about that they don't that they take it like that kid took it about an ice cream cone you know that's it and it, you, so chelsea had a had a good family that brought her up to be caught to, uh, excuse me to be taught and coached played for a high school coach that got on her and pushed her. And so that when she came here, it was, a, she was used to it. It wasn't any big deal. The same coach, me coaching the same way to another kid, hears it totally different because they've come up through it's a, a whole different place. The question is which one of those is reality, which one is true. And I think the only way to answer that is over time, you can tell which one is true and which one is not, but kids don't, Kids don't like long-run thinking. They, they all want short-term. Well, short-term, it's a lot easier to get a pat on the back than it is to be chastised about, I need to work harder on this and do this and improve on this. So kids are typically going for the short-run stuff. And and in athletic anything that's long-term thinking, which is athletics and education, they're struggling because everybody now is pushing the short-term stuff with technology because they can get stuff at the drop of a hat. Right.
1: Microwave society. Yeah, yes.
0: Yeah, yes. yeah. But we were talking about that the other day. Somebody, and I'd never heard the term, but somebody came in and watched me coach and was watching a practice and said, you coach like a crock pot. And I went, yeah, yeah. Compared to a microwave, I do. I coach like a crock pot. Uh, actually, I think I coach like a fire out in the wilderness That's uh, that you're trying to cook over. But uh,
1: yeah, it's, it's like, very- like a green, like a green egg. That's ex- Yeah, there you yeah. go. There you go. But that's, then it's interesting, right? Because it's like, well, who, who wants a microwave dinner, right? I want something coming out of that green egg, though, right? I mean, that's going to yeah, be like a whole lot better tasting. I sure do. But you've got to be
0: patient enough to sit there and wait on it. And yeah. and a lot of people, you know, they don't. They, they want it right then, immediately. If it's not quite as good, that's okay. It's still good. Yeah, but you and I both know what that steak's going to be like coming off that grill that you slow cooked, you know, mm-hmm. but it just, again, it is what
1: these kids want at that moment. And at that moment, I'm hungry. Give me some food. And you, and you brought it up at the very beginning because coaches, once they start to change their expectations, they start to get what they tolerate. And then that's when um, the, the, I think it becomes full circle, right? Then they're not as consistent as they meant to be. And because of, you know, the fear mentality or, or whatever it's going to be. And it's always just that little bit, right? It's that little foothold that a player comes in a couple of minutes late or they're not as hard. Let me ask this question, Coach. Do you think you have to coach your best players the hardest? Absolutely.
0: Uh, there's no question. You know, my, my players have a, have a top 10 butt-chewing list, that they've that they make when they're about the time they're juniors or seniors, they start talking about the top ten butt chewing list. And uh, and they like it and they laugh about it. They don't laugh when they're freshmen. Right. And they don't laugh when they're sophomores. But about their junior year they start laughing about it in their senior year they 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 could care less about it. But every time a player will sit down and talk about the the butt chewing list, the ones on there are the were the best players. No yeah. question. And I think that the best players, number one, that's why they're the best. They can handle it. Number two, the younger ones or the ones that aren't as good have got to see you getting on the best player. They just they have to or you're never going to be that good. Uh, and, and I think that that's a challenge for that best player.
1: But if they're the best
0: player, they should welcome it. Remastered. Right. And, and, and what I tell mine is the hardest butt you you're going to get are not yours. There, when I can't yell at that freshman yet because they're not tough enough to handle it. And so I'm going to yell at you. And so if you're worried about it, you come talk to me. But understand there's going to be some times when I start chewing, you're not going to know what I'm chewing you for. And you're not going to understand it. Now, if that bothers you, come see me. But otherwise, just shake it off and don't worry about it. 95% of the time, 99% of the time, they don't ever come talk to me. And they know They know. I was not fair when I was chewing on them about something, 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 because they know it was the other person that did it, but I'm chewing on them. By the time they're juniors or seniors, they get it. They're like, he's not yelling at me. He just can't yell at her because she's a freshman. Well, what that does for your freshman is it endears them to that senior or junior or best player who took that butt-chewing for them, knowing that they just took it. They didn't have any resistance whatsoever, and then they didn't get mad at the other kid. They just kept right on going. Well, now that kid got their butt chewing, but it wasn't personal, which it never was to start with, and they can take that and grow from it. That's probably one of the biggest things that we do with uh, with trying to help kids along.
1: I love that one. Yeah, that's fantastic. Plus, plus it's a way, yeah, like you said, right, it unites the team, makes them uh-huh. closer, because that freshman realizes it. and yeah. And then the senior or junior upperclassman isn't won't point the finger back at them. So I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's beautiful. What a great we, technique, coach. Well, and we also talk about you know there's going to be a time
0: where you're going to need that person, and you never know when that's going to be. So take one for them whenever you can, because there's going to be a time they're going to need you're going to need them to do something for you. Uh, so it kind of falls in that same same kind mm-hmm. of category.
1: Coach, I've enjoyed our conversation, but what question um, should I be asking that that I'm just not asking? Um, you're asking me, or yeah, yeah It's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite questions. It always
0: makes everyone pause. Yeah, that's an interesting. That's an interesting question. Um, prob- probably, uh, how have you been able to do it for for How do you sustain? That, that's that's probably one of the toughest questions uh, and one of the hardest to answer, is how do you sustain what you're doing, especially one, over time, uh, and two, is with the climate change and technology, and three, was the changing, changing of kids. Um, probably the hardest thing I have to try to do every year. And what's the answer to that one, Coach? Uh, be really stubborn. Mm-hmm. Really, really stubborn. Uh, pray a lot and uh, and try to look long run. Probably would be my best answer.
1: Yeah. In, in that same documentary, already coaching uh, Nick it says this. Like you, you, every year, right? Like you're climbing the mountain. You're climbing the mountain. He said, once you get enough success, you become the mountain. And I thought that was a pretty righteous statement because yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah it's kind of it's not not saying anything's easy, but to have success for a sustained period of time is really the ultimate I right. mean you know
0: it's why impressive. we talk about the the regular season champion to me it says more about your team than, a, than to win a tournament to win it 3 times in 4 years says something about your program um, to win it as much over time says something about your kind of your legacy and, and i think each one of those is is a greater thing that you're trying to to do you know at the end you're just trying to leave the place better than you found it um and if you can just do that every day then the long run stuff tends to take care of itself
1: mm-hmm. coach i really enjoyed this man thanks so much for for taking the time thanks rob i really enjoyed it
0: Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.